Thank you, Chad and ministry team. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts, uh, Acts 25. And we'll be looking at the entire chapter here this evening. About six months ago, I received some news from two dear friends of mine that they were both battling cancer. Now, I've been sharing quite frequently with you about one of them, Bill. And Bill went home to see the Lord this past Thursday after a short battle with pancreatic cancer. Uh, My other friend, it was one who gave me my first opportunity in the ministry over 20 years ago, working in middle school ministry. And he is battling oral cancer, and he finds out in two weeks if the radiation treatments worked. Uh, And so he's waiting on the Lord just to see what awaits him. And why he is waiting on the Lord, that waiting, as we've been learning about even in our study of the book of Acts, is not stationary. It's not inactive. That uh, waiting on the Lord means that we continue to do the things that he has called us to do as followers of Christ. You know, and as I think about both of these men's lives, both people who have invested in my life, who poured into my life, I can't help for my mind to go to the place where I just ask, why, Lord? Especially when you consider what cancer does to your body and what it does to your family as they watch people literally just wither away. It's tough. It's hard to make sense of. And I don't proclaim to know why, though I don't want to even try to give you an answer as to why, because I think that would be very arrogant of me. But I believe in witnessing and watching these two men as they battled through cancer and one is still battling. Uh, God has helped me see somewhat, though very dimly still, perhaps something that he may be doing in, in their lives and how they continue to be a witness in a time that it would have been easy for both of them just to focus in on what remainder of the time they have here on earth to spend time with family, uh, they went the, entirely the other direction. Uh, as I shared with you, one of my friends, Bill, when he saw that his cancer had progressed to the level that it did, and he had the opportunity to receive treatment, and he started it, but he didn't like what it did. It, it isolated him. It, it really robbed him of his mind. And He believed that with what time he had left here on earth, he wanted to have a sound mind, not just for himself or for those around him, his family, but for all people. He wanted to continue to be a witness for Christ all the way until the end. And even when I went to see him last Thursday, he was my Paul encouraging me like Timothy to continue to follow the Lord and and remain faithful in him and It's such a powerful thing when a person is in such a weak condition, yet they are such a strong encouragement. And I believe that is so of him because of his faith relationship with Christ. And then my other friend, Ron, who is currently battling oral cancer throughout his radiation treatments, he has used uh, 
this as a platform to share Jesus with those who are going through similar experiences as him. He's often sharing prayer requests of people that he's meeting, people who have come to Christ. And it's been such an amazing thing to see when life threw them something that was incredibly difficult, hard, uh, frankly, from my perspective, not fair, they continue to move forward in faith. And this is exactly what we'll see here this evening as we continue to look closely at the life of the Apostle Paul. If you've been with us for some time, you know that the Apostle Paul, he always seemed to find himself in a precarious or troubling situation. In Paul's case, these situations weren't necessarily by making unwise choices. No, Paul finds himself in the place that he's at because of faithfully following God. And yet what we'll see about Paul continuing into this chapter is that Paul was not deterred by his most recent circumstance. For for a couple chapters now, Paul has been lied about. He's been sought after to be killed. He is currently in custody, wanting to go to Rome, but he's there Uh, only because he's been faithful to God and people have had a problem with it. And what we'll see tonight from Paul's life, and I pray that it would be true of us, that as we walk through life and as we experience unfairness in life, because life is not fair, that we would remember this, that God's word will find a way even when life is not fair. God's word will find a way even when life is not fair. And so before we get into our text for this evening, I want to read it to you in its entirety. Acts chapter 25, please listen as I read. Please hear the word of the Lord. Now, three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem, a Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. And they urged him, asking a favor against Paul, that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept in Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me. And if there's anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them not more than eight to ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. And when he arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense that neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense." But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I have done no wrong, as you yourself very well know. If I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there's nothing there, 
to the charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had confirmed with his counsel, answered, to Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Now some days had passed, and Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea, greeted Festus. And when they stayed with them many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there's a man left in prison, uh, left prisoner by Felix. And when I was in Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders and the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had the opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but took the next day my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in this case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion, about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss at how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered that him be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you will hear him. Verse 23, so on the next day, Agrippa Bernice came with great pomp and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in and Festus said, King Agrippa, all who have been present with us, you will see this man whom, whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had none done nothing deserving of death, and he himself appealed to the emperor. And I decided to go ahead and send him, but I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I brought him before you all, especially before you, King Agrippa, so that we have examined him and I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner and not to indicate the charges against him. God's word will find a way even when life is not fair. As we work through this text this evening, as we see these circumstances that have fallen upon Paul, there's two things that I want us to keep in mind. One is this, life is not fair. And we'll see this as we work throughout the text in the case of Paul. Second, we will see that God's word will not fail. Life is not fair, but God's word will not fail fail. And so first, let us look at what I've just said. Life is not fair. I hate to burst your bubble, but it's the truth. And the sooner we can come to this truth, to this reality, it will free us from the unrealistic expectations that sometimes we like to create in our life and live our life through. In fact, even King Solomon perhaps one of the wisest men that ever lived, made this observation as he looked at life. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11, I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. To summarize this, 
life doesn't make sense sometimes. Life is not always fair. And so what I want to do tonight is answer that question. Why is life not fair? And so first, let us define what fair is. Because how people define fair, I really think makes a difference. And so some define fairness this way, desiring equality or for everything to be the same. We have kids in here. How many kids this week have you thought it or have you said it? That's not fair. I have three in my house, 12, 10, and four. My four-year-old is just learning that term and saying it frequently. Because, and what does he mean by it? He means this definition, that he wants equality in everything or the sameness, right? He's four, but he wants to go to bed at the same time as everybody else. He wants to be able to do things that the older ones are doing. And in his mind and in his eyes, that's not fair. But I want to tell you that this mentality and this perspective is just not isolated to children. It's something, if we're not careful, that we can take with us into adulthood. Lots of times when we think those words or we utter those words, even as adults, what we're wanting is for life and its scale to tip in our favor, right? We, 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 we want to experience the blessings like everybody else has experienced. We want God's blessing to rain down. We don't want to experience hardship. And oftentimes when we're in hardship, we'll look at somebody else that's not, and we wish that we were there. And to us, that's not fair because we want to be there and not here. And yet what we need to remember that Jesus taught Uh, This in Matthew chapter five, so that you may be sons of the father who is in heaven for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. Friends, fairness is not all things being equal or being the same. That's not fair. That's not the definition that we need to think about in terms when we're talking about fairness. So, so what is fair? Fair is defined by Webster's Dictionary. says this, it's marked by impartiality, by honesty, free of self-interest, prejudice, injustice, or favoritism. Think about that for a second. Man, imagine how life would be, how ideal it would be, how much easier it would be if life was absent of impartiality and Complete honest, if, if we had complete honesty and we are free of self-interest and there is no prejudice, if there is no injustice or favoritism, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if life was like that? But it's not. And it's not going to be this way on this earth. And so that brings me to, again, the why of why life is not fair. The reason that life is not fair is because we live in a sinful and fallen world. A life full, a world full of self-interest, partiality, dishonesty, prejudice, injustice, and favoritism. In fact, as we look at Acts chapter 25 tonight, we will see some of these very evidences in this text. 
We'll we'll see favoritism. We'll see self-interest. We'll frankly, we'll see injustice in the case of Paul. And yet what we'll see about Paul is that Paul was a person that stayed focused. Paul was a person, at least as we look through the scripture, that he did not complain. That, that, that Paul saw the bigger picture. He saw what was at stake. He remembered God's call. He remembered God's plan. And brothers and sisters, this is what we need to do when we find ourselves in a similar place where we meet the unfairness of life. That we remember God's word. That we remember what God says about these types of experiences that we remember that he is still at work, that he is not absent, that he is present, that he's wanting to use this place as a platform. Your problem is an opportunity for you to proclaim the truth of God and his gospel to all those who will hear. You remember what I read at the beginning of our service in Philippians chapter 1 and 12 through 18? Paul said, hey guys, this is for the good and for the advancement of the gospel because I'm in prison here in Rome. The entire imperial guard is heard about Jesus. So it's a good thing that God has me here. And so friends, this is what I want us to do. I want us to to see anything that we face in life, our problems, our situations, our hardship through the lens of faith with the assistance of the Spirit, and that we would remember our God-given call, our privilege to be his representatives come what may in our life. Because as we see, Paul, he experienced the unfairness of life. We've been looking at it now, really for the better half of almost 10 chapters, but very specifically, we start seeing it really ramp up in Acts chapter 21. In Acts chapter 21, verses 1 through 27, we see that Paul was falsely accused and beaten by the Jews of Asia. They didn't like who Paul identified with, that he identified with Jesus, that he was making light of, from their perspective, the Jews of the Jews' heritage, of circumcision, of of teaching them the way of the Jew. They they were bringing in Gentiles and not teaching them to be Jewish. And that upset them. And so they falsely accused Paul. They beat him in public. In Acts 22, verses 22 through 29, we see that Paul is wrongfully arrested by the Roman tribune and soldiers, and they were violating his very rights as a Roman citizen. Right? Do you remember how scared the text says when the Roman tribune and the soldiers, they found out that Paul was a Roman citizen? Because this was a big no-no. You couldn't do this to a Roman citizen, and yet they did it. And what had Paul done? Nothing worthy of that. In Acts chapter 24 that we looked at last week, we saw that Paul was falsely accused by the high priest and their lawyer, Tertullus. They brought this threefold case against Paul. All lies. Right? You see this theme here of Paul? 
In chapter, later in chapter 24, verse 26, we see that Paul is wrongfully kept in prison by the governor Felix. Governor Felix had the authority, he had the influence, the power to free Paul. And yet we see in verse 26, why he kept Paul in prison for so long. He was hoping that Paul was going to bring him a offering to pay him. And that's what he wanted. And so, because Paul, whenever he got before Governor Felix, didn't do what Governor Felix went, he sent him back to prison. But what did Paul do every time he had the ear of the Governor Felix? He shared the gospel. He talked about God. And that upset Felix. And then we'll see in this chapter in Acts 25, the one that I've just read to you, that after Felix is replaced by Festus, that Festus, though he's quicker to take action, you still see that he is influenced by the crowd around him. He even offers Paul this invitation to return to Jerusalem. He says, hey, Paul, don't you want to go back to Jerusalem? And we see why he brings this invitation to Paul in verse 9, because he wants to stay in good favor with the Jews, And this is no doubt probably a political maneuver to maintain his position and to to be, in his mind, a good leader, to keep the peace. Because that's what the governor was to do, is to keep the peace in their province so they could keep their job. Again, this is why Felix was replaced, because he mishandled governing the people in Caesarea because of the riots. And so he was bounced and he was replaced by Festus. And so Festus, man, he's trying to, he's learning from Felix's mistakes. I don't want to repeat Felix's mistakes. I want to keep the peace. And so I'm going to try to do this solid favor for the Jews and an offer to send Paul back to Jerusalem. Because at this point, Festus, he already knows the intentions of the Jews. They've already been straightforward with Festus to say, Just give them to us and we'll take care of them. And by take care of them, I don't mean really take care of them. I mean, end his life is what he tells them. So this is why Festus does what he does. This is how he handles Paul. And what had Paul done? Nothing. He was wrongfully accused. He was beaten, right? His Roman rights as, as a citizen were not honored, He was kept in prison because somebody wanted to get paid. Again, a governor does not take action because he is concerned more about his seat of power and what others think than there's a man that's innocent that has done nothing wrong. And we learn about this later, even in the text. If you're paying attention to the end of the text, comes out of Festus' own mouth as he is talking to King Agrippa about Paul. He says, hey, in verse 18, when the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in the case of such evils that as I supposed. And then in verse 25 and 27, I found he had done nothing deserving of death. This is Festus talking. And he himself appealed to the emperor and I decided to go ahead and send him. But he had a real big problem. He's going to send him to Rome until Caesar, he's like, I don't have anything to write down about this man that he's done something wrong. That's going to be a problem because we got to have something. We got to say something. We just can't send somebody up there because he's done nothing. 
And, and so this is why he, he calls Agrippa to the scene. He's like, man, I need help with this because I want to keep my position. I want to keep my seat. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call an audible, hey, King Agrippa, come here and help me out with this matter. And Paul, he had done nothing wrong. And so we get a, a glimpse in the case of Paul, his life and the unfairness that he experienced. Do you see it? And just as Paul is a recipient to the unfairness of life, we too, you and I, will be on the receiving end during our time here on earth because of the world's brokenness and sinfulness to the unfairness of life. And it always won't be easy. It won't be pleasant. It can be painful and it can be very difficult to navigate at times. And sometimes we won't make the right choices. Uh, And there's so many things that it could be. And I don't want to sit here and just try to imagine all, but I just want to give you just a couple of things. Perhaps as a child, you grew up in a difficult household or you're, you're presently growing up in a difficult household. Were, were mom and dad or were at odds at one another or these unrealistic expectations and it's just really hard and it has nothing really to do with you, but you feel the weight of that and it shapes you and it forms you and, and, and it's difficult and it's hard and there's no way around that. Perhaps you have a job where your superior or your employer, he doesn't take good care of you takes advantage of you, works you to death, right? Doesn't uh, supply really realistic, you know, means to an end for you. Yep, you know you need a job. You know you need to work, but it's just sucking life from you working for this individual or individuals. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe you are dealing with some type of health concern or circumstance, maybe a physical illness, maybe a mental illness. You didn't sign up for that. You didn't want that, but it's what you got. And those things are hard. And we can certainly say to ourselves, man, this doesn't seem fair. This doesn't seem right. Why do I have to experience this? Why do I have to go through this, Lord? And friends, those aren't necessarily wrong questions to ask, right? Those are honest questions and you should be honest before the Lord. You should be able to say to him with reverence and respect, hey, I'm not understanding. Lord, I'm having a hard time following what's going on here. And God is not mute or silent on this subject. As we experience hardship, as we experience unfairness of life, Now, he may not speak directly to the detail of what you're going on, but we can look all throughout scripture and see how God moves and works in the trial, how he moves and works in the hardship, how in what we see is unfair and unfair it may be how God is still faithfully working behind the scenes to accomplish his plan and purpose in you, but also in the lives of others. And we don't need to lose sight of that. And that's what we need to hone in on because it's easy to focus on the circumstance, to focus on the situation, to focus on our feelings. But inevitably, we we need our 
our feelings to, to catch up with our faith. Because our faith improperly informs us of how we are to respond to the difficulties of life. In this case, the unfairness of life. And we have before us here an example of one who's experienced it. I think we can all agree, right? That Paul, what he's all, what he's been experienced, what I've just shared with you, is not right. It's not fair. Yeah, we don't see Paul saying anything like that. Complaining, wishing he was not in this situation. Paul, we'll see, was a focused man. Paul was a faithful man. And he endured faithfully to the end. And God wants the same for you and I. He wants us to be focused. He wants us to be faithful and endure to the end. And will we always do it right? No. Paul certainly didn't do it right. We don't have all these examples for us to look to, but he was a human being like you and I. And he surely made mistakes. We got to see a lot of Paul BC before Christ and all that he did. And it doesn't mean that he was perfect after Jesus because no one is perfect until we before the Lord in our glorified bodies. And yet you will fall and you will fail. You will make mistakes as we experience the trials of life. You will make decisions. You will take wrong paths. But, but God, he can redeem that wrong path, that wrong choice. And he can still use us even when we fail. So don't underestimate the power of God that our inaction or our unfaithfulness will not obstruct God from accomplishing his purpose. It may hinder how he works in our lives, but yet even when we're unfaithful, we see in scripture that he is faithful. And we can rest in that. God's going to accomplish his purpose in your life, whether you're fully on board or not. Right? God, he's going to use us, right? God, God uses all people, even sinful people to accomplish things. And so don't think God's plan is in peril if you're not faithfully following him. Now, this is not an out or excuse for you to sin and to give up because God wants to be faithful to him. God wants us to follow him. God wants us to trust him and trust him we should. And this is what we see with Paul. Even as he experienced the unfairness of life, we see this in Paul's life. We see faith. And what was his faith built on? I believe it was built on this truth that God's word will not fail. His word won't fail. We looked at this last week, but I want to look at it again because I think it's very helpful for us. But I believe it was also helpful for Paul as he waded through and as he navigated the difficult circumstances in his own life pertaining to the unfairness of life. In Acts 23, verse 11, this is after Paul has been sent to the barracks after the Jews of Asia have falsely accused him, have beat him in public, and after he had been wrongfully arrested by the Roman tribune, he's sitting there in prison. 
And we see these words in Acts 23, 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Right? God didn't give Paul the details of how it was all going to happen for Paul, but he told him he was going to Rome. So, so Paul had been in this predicament, in this situation for more than two years. And don't you know, with time passing the way that it does and seeing these circumstances and navigating through his own feelings and thoughts, it could have been easily tempted to go the way of complaining or going the way of despair or, or doubting. But we don't see this from the Apostle Paul. And why did he do that? I believe he trusted in what God had said. God said, you're going to Rome. And so this gave Paul confidence. This is why he kept doing what he was doing whenever he was given the opportunity to speak. He continued to proclaim the gospel. To, to, and all, if he would probably have been silent or been quiet, maybe he could have got out. But Paul knew that he was put here on earth to make the gospel known, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so what we see with Paul, we see a calmness, we see a confidence, we see a courage to continue to speak. Paul had what I would call a God said so faith. Meaning that no matter what others said, no matter the situation or the circumstance, in the end, he remembered that God would have the final word. And God's word matters most. It would have the final say. That's what I mean by God said so faith. Why do we do what we do as Christians? Because God said so. Now, sometimes some of us are more inquisitive and we want to know more. And that's fine. There's a place and time to know that. But at the end of the day, we, we choose to follow Christ. We, we choose to believe what we believe about sin, about faith, about eternity, about hell and heaven, because God has told us in his word. And we believe it by faith. We trust in it with our lives. What does it look like? It looks like this. Even when things get hard, even when doubt wants to creep in and doubt will creep in, doubt will try to find its place into your mind and try to make decisions for you. Worry will do the same. Anxiety will do the same. Fear will do the same. But we must trust in, by faith, what God has said. In the case of Paul, hey, Paul, you're going to Rome. I know everything on the surface, all your feelings seems to say otherwise, but you are going to Rome. In Rome, he would go and testify. And see again how God's word of him going to Rome helps him in this situation. We see this in verses 9 through 12. Again, I call you back your attention when Festus gave him the open invitation to return to Jerusalem. Hey, Paul, don't you want to go back to Jerusalem? Don't you want to go back there? Now, Paul's probably like, why on earth would I want to go back there? Because people were 
wanting to kill me. But that's not why Paul decided to stay where he was at. Paul decided to stay where he was at, I believe, because God told him he was going to Rome. So why on earth would he take this invitation and run with it? Yeah, he would get out of prison. Maybe things wouldn't be as hard. But God told him he was going to Rome. And so it gave him the strength, the courage, the calmness to say, no, I want to see Caesar. I appeal to him. I don't want to go to Jerusalem. Two, we, we see Paul in verse 11, that he's not trying to escape the situation. Like whenever we find ourselves in difficulty, don't we just like want to press a button and find ourselves in a new situation? Don't we want to restart or redo? I know I do. I don't want to go through hard things. I don't like going through hard things. But the sooner I come to grasp with the reality that we live in a broken and fallen world and the unfairness of life is going to visit me in some way, shape, or form, the better off I'll be. When I understand that and I understand there's a God that's ultimately in control and he's using even these things that seem unfair to accomplish his purposes. Like we can go Old Testament with this. You guys remember the story of Joseph? You know, the kid with the coat of many colors, right? His brothers didn't like him and they didn't like him so much they threw him in a pit. And they went and lied and said, hey, uh, your son is dead. In actuality, man, they had sold Joseph into slavery. Man, that's some serious family problems. You throw your brother in a pit and then you sell him into slavery and then you go to your dad and say, hey, Joseph's dead. And we see when Joseph gets there, Joseph, he's lied about by, to, by Potiphar's wife. And even when he helps prisoners in jail, he's forgotten about there. But eventually, God is there with him and he ascends to this place of prominence and power within the Egyptian kingdom and a famine comes in the land. And guess who is affected by the family, by the famine, Joseph's family. And by this time, Joseph's family doesn't recognize him, but, Joseph, but they end up before Joseph asking for help. And what does Joseph do? Does he get revenge? No, he reconciles, he, he forgives. And he says, what you meant for evil, God has meant for good. Again, that tells you how much in control God is. Even on the unfairness of life, he's still working and in control. I know we are tempted when we find ourselves, because I will certainly do it. We want to throw ourselves a pity party, right? And we want to invite everybody to the party. Because we want people to feel bad for us. But we don't need to do that. We, We don't need to. We need to look to our great promise keeper and what he has said, that he is present with us, that he's with us, that he's working, and he's going to accomplish his purpose in your life. And this is what he does with Paul. And for us, we should find our encouragement, not just from Paul, but from Jesus. Whether Paul saw it or not, we don't know. But if we know anything about Jesus Christ, while he was here on earth, we can certainly see that Jesus's life or, was, or Paul's life was very similar and followed in the footsteps of his Savior and Lord. Jesus, like Paul, he was bound in chains. Jesus, like Paul, he was brought before the governor. Not the governor Felix or Festus, but Pontius Pilate. But like both of them, Pontius Pilate, he knew the right thing to do with Jesus was to set him free because he had done nothing wrong. But instead, he wanted to save face 
and he took the politically safe route, much like Felix did, and similar to what Festus was doing up until this point. Jesus, he allowed himself to be illegally tried, to be flogged, to be sentenced to death, to be crucified on a Roman cross so that humanity, and to more personally, you and I, so we could escape God's wrath against sin and experience and enjoy fellowship with God. This is remarkable. The sinless son of God who never did anything wrong went through all of this, all of this injustice, and through it, God brought us the opportunity to know him in a real and intimate way. That's remarkable. What grace God has offered to us, what love, what power he displays that even through the unfairness of life, the difficulties of life, he's still there calling the shots. He's still in control. What a God. And so as we leave here this evening, I want to give you three things to consider and to take away with you as we walk out of here as it pertains to the unfairness of life. One is this. When, when we meet the unfairness of life, meet it with expectant faith. Romans eight twenty eight says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things will work together for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. So this is where it starts. It starts with faith because he's next next to takeaways. They are dependent. They are incumbent upon our faith. And friends, this is why we go through difficulties. This is why we go through trials. Part of it, because James says to test your faith, to see that it's real. Because if there's one thing we want to be real, that we want to be sincere, that we want to be genuine, it's our faith. Because if our faith is not real, we will spend eternity separated from God. So it's that important. So in a strange way, in a way that's not really known to us, but in God's sovereign wisdom, he permits trials into our lives to test our faith, to show us is what you have real. And if there's one thing we want to be real, it's our faith. Because our faith in Christ that God gives to us is what saves us. And when we believe in Christ by faith, we can trust him that he's going to do what he said. God never fails. God never lies. He always keeps his promises. He answers and does things on his timetable, not ours. And we can trust him. And we can expect him to move even when it doesn't look like it's possible. That's what I mean by expectant faith. Letting God's word have the final say and not the circumstance, not your feelings, not what others say. That's what Paul did. To meet the unfairness of life with an internal focus. Again, this hinges on faith. Right? Again, it's so easy and we all do it. When we go through hardship, our eyes get stuck on the situation that's before us. And that's what humans do. I'm not trying to 
shame you or fault you for that, but that's just what we do. That God is in the process of growing us and maturing us, and he wants that not to be, he wants to replace that default with a, with a new default. That we look to him, we look to his word, and what does he say? And we see a great example of this, again, in the life of the Apostle Paul, Philippians chapter 4. By this time, Paul is in Roman prison. It says this, rejoice in the Lord when you feel like it <laughs> or when it's convenient. No, it says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. This man's writing this from prison, right? This is where he's heading. When he goes to see Caesar, it's not like, yay, Paul goes free. No, he goes to prison. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. God's there. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Where's Paul at? He's in prison. He's talking about all these things, right? It's easy to talk about all of these things and peace when everything's going great. Like these are some of our favorite verses that we like to talk about. But it's, all, it's another thing altogether when you're walking through great times of darkness and trial, hunger, being cold, being naked. This is all things that Paul's experiencing. And he's sitting here talking about the peace of God. He's talking about rejoicing, knowing that the Lord is at hand and going to him in prayer. And he says, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So again, we get a glimpse. Again, Paul saying, hey, see what I'm going through and respond the way that I'm responding. Learn from me. I mean, so God stewards all of us with different kinds of trials, not only for your sake, but for the benefit of others. Like we're still getting to learn about how Paul stewarded and used these trials today. So long ago, we were benefit and we're blessed by them. And friends, when you walk through a trial, God is not only using that to mature you, but potentially to mature others. And it's so important that we learn in faith to respond the right way because God will use even your difficulties to help people know and follow God. Lastly, meet the unfairness of life with enduring faithfulness. And again, all this hinges on faith. We will not endure. We will not focus correctly without faith. This is what Paul said at the end uh, towards the end of chapter four. And I rejoice in the Lord greatly now at the length that I've re- revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. And if there's ever a guy that you would think is in need, it's Paul. Like he's in prison. He's like, hey, I'm not in need. I've learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. If any, in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him, that being Christ, who strengthens me. Paul is faithful to the end. 
He's able to focus. He's able to have this expectant faith because of Christ in him. And this needs to be coming the testimony of our lives too. And so if you're here tonight and you feel though your circumstance and your situation, you feel like a prisoner to it, just remember that God is at hand, that he is with you, that he's teaching you, that he's molding you, that he's shaping you, that he's using you even now, whether you see it or not, to potentially help others. And if you're here tonight without Christ, before any of this makes sense, in dealing with these trials, you must first come to an understanding of your great need for Christ. So if you're here tonight without Christ and you want to understand what it means to follow Christ, we can, we can talk afterward about what it means to know and to follow Christ because he's the only way to God. God has made this opportunity available to everyone here tonight. For many people have followed Christ and this should be how God is growing you, how he is changing you. For those without Christ, the change begins with trusting in Christ truthfully and really for the first time, recognizing that your sin separates you from God and recognizing that the only way that you can have the stain of sin removed from your life, the power and penalty of sin absolved from your life is by trusting in Jesus, God's only son who came to this earth. And as I said, experienced great unfairness in life, great injustice, but he did it willingly He sacrificed himself. It was a part of God's plan to offer to us the opportunity to know and to follow him. So if you're here tonight without Christ, I urge you as God's spirit is speaking to you to call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. Let us pray. God, thank you for this evening. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the ears that have heard your word. Lord, help us, Lord, to consider all that we've heard. Lord, help us, uh, Lord, to have just a a mind and heart of faith to step out and to follow you, even when it's tough, to wait on you, Lord, when we need to wait. And Lord, show us what our waiting looks like in the trial, because it will look different, perhaps, for different people. It will look like praying. It will definitely be serving, Lord. There's so many different things that you are wanting to do. And so, Lord, help us just to ask you, help us just to trust you. Help us, Lord, to seek the counsel of others, Lord, because you have not intended us to try to figure this out on our own. We're to look to you and look to your word and surround ourselves with others. And so may we just humble ourselves before you, Lord, and help us, Lord. Help us on our journey of faith. Help us be that bright light that you want us to be where you've put us. God, help us to be faithful until the end. In Jesus' name, amen. I encourage you to respond to God's word as he speaks to you.